Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Lifetimes with Carissa Santos, the podcast. Today is a very special episode because we will be talking about oral health. And my guest for today is Dr. Jacqueline Tatad. She received her doctorate degree from the University of the East College of Dentistry. Also, she received her Master of Science in Clinical Implantology from Iwo Women's University in Seoul, South Korea. Doc Tatad is a dentist practicing general dentistry specializing in oral surgery. And she is also a member of the following Philippine Dental Association. PDA San Juan Dental Chapter, Korean Association of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery, and Korean Association of Maxillofacial and Plastic Reconstructive Surgery. Hello, Dr. Tatad. Thank you so much for accepting my invite. How are you? Hi, Carissa. I'm good. How about you? How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited to talk about oral health with you today. Oh, yes, me too. This is a very good advocacy of yours. So can you share a little bit of your background and your hobbies? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Jacqueline Tato. They call me Doc Jackie. Doc Jackie. So um, I'm a dentist. <laughs> I've been practicing for a few years now. So if I'm not doing dental stuff, I like to jump rope. I also do boxing. What else? I binge watch Netflix. Right now, I'm into Grey's Anatomy. I think I finish one season Ooh. in one day. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's a lot of episodes. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of hours in a day. Well, that, that's the fastest. I think I was able to finish a season, but then I think it's going to take me around five days for one season. But I started on season 16, so mm -hmm. I'm excited to finish it. I think the new season's coming out next month. <laughs> oh, okay. I actually stopped watching Grace when McDreamy died. I just couldn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a heartbreak, actually. Yes. I was just like... What is this show without McDream? But obviously, it's still a good show. It's a good so show. I it's probably, show. yeah, I should start watching it again. The thing about medical dramas is that I think they do re research also. It's kind of 80% accurate. Maybe around mm -hmm. 70 to 80% accurate. So it, it refreshes me about hospital hospital services. And so, so yes. that's why I do I still watch it. It's very interesting too. Like you don't know if you'll really see cases like that in real life. Yeah, exactly. That's true. That's true. And also, uh, well, I, I was I was trying to look back if it's not just the medical stuff that's accurate. I was trying to look back. Was there any romantic thing happening between the two interns I saw, two externs I saw, <laughs> like this? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's so funny. Okay, let me ask you this question. Why did you choose dentistry? Ah, dentistry for me somewhat is a family practice. So my aunt uh, is a dentist. She has been practicing for a few years before I was born. And then she has been practicing. Her first clinic uh, was at home, the first floor of her house. So she kind of influenced me to take up dentistry so she didn't have any kids so i was the one who'd uh who'd wait, entertain her Aww. her patient so i i'd go down and then imagine a little kid entertaining patients there just just welcoming them and then after the treat how are you i'd see them so i got used to maybe seeing the dental stuff the dental chair 
just quite a different experience, I think, from my other patients who are anxious when they see dentists like that. Right. So I got into dentistry maybe because of that one, the influence of my aunt. Oh, okay. Well, I think most of the time it's how we choose our paths, right? Depending on our relatives and if we're already exposed to that field, it definitely influences our yes. choices. Yes, yes. Agree, agree. Yeah, that's it. So... She was a good influence, maybe. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Doc Jackie, can you describe your patient base right now? So for my patient base, um, normally for the age, it's quite a wide range. So I've treated patients as young as 7 years old up to around 80-year-old patients. So that range, well, as you've mentioned, uh, my practice is more on surgical treatments but i still do i still do general dentistry stuff so i still do cleaning oral prophylaxis restorations but more of my procedures focus on surgical procedures so uh it's quite a wide range so mm-hmm. i see patients who are as young as uh, seven or or like that, who who are in need of extractions or who's in need of a consultation like this. So, okay, that's nice. What treatment philosophies do you practice? For me, I really believe in um, conservative dentistry. So as much as possible, we try to. Actually, I think the practice of dentistry now is veering towards conservative dentistry or trying to preserve what is originally there. So whatever you can preserve inside the oral cavity, try to save it, preserve it, and then try to make it functional again, and then try to restore its function, not just aesthetically, but also its function. We're more into conservative dentistry. So just restore and try to save what's originally there. And if not, then try to mimic what was there before the cavity happened or before the extraction or before the procedure was done oh so you don't do aggressive treatments right away as much as possible now um i i think i read this article once or i heard this in a ted talk that sometimes um in the medical profession or dental profession you'd hear doctors who'd say that um most of their treatment or uh, a bulk of their of their management or treatment would concern observation. So most mm-hmm. of the time, they tell their patients, maybe we can observe it for a while. So anyway, that I think that's a form of treatment. Observing first, if the body can adapt to it, or if the body can adapt to that conservative treatment that you just did or conservative procedure that you just performed and then after try to check first observe uh, how the body adapts and if it adapts in a good way then i think that's a better treatment than doing the aggressive treatment immediately when you can preserve what was originally there yes that's the goal so waiting isn't always bad sometimes it does more good yes yeah (laughs) (laughs) so doc let's talk about oral health what constitutes oral health so when you say oral health i think this is the whole well-being so when you say oral health in general it's not just the restoration of cavities and all it's Mm -hmm. also the prevention of 
prevention of these conditions from happening. So if you can prevent cavity from forming, if you can prevent uh, other conditions from happening inside the oral cavity, then I think that's that's going to be better. Now, in line with this or connected to this, since the oral cavity is the is one of the entry points yeah. of the body. And it's one of the biggest <laughs> entry point of the body. So I think this is very much a concern that, uh, or you have to be conscious on on everything that you put inside your mouth. So if, for example, you're going to eat your food using your hands, you have to make sure to wash your hands like this. Or you have to make sure that these things are clean before it enters the body. So you have to be yes. conscious of that one. So I want to ask you this. My sister always complains about how her dentist always finds a cavity in between her teeth, even though she brushes and flosses three times a day. And I'm sure a lot of people are just like her. Uh, Would you be able to share proper brushing and flossing technique? Is there a standard oral hygiene regimen? Ah, Okay, so with the proper brushing and flossing technique, for us, for us dentists, we treat patients differently. So each patient is unique. So as an individual, so we consider uh, all of the factors like, for example, the the consistency of the saliva, the smoothness of the teeth. So we have to check first. Now, the treatment that we suggest or even the oral hygiene regimen or, or oral hygiene instructions that we give are very specific for each patient. If not, there are mm-hmm. some general rules to do it. So if the patient has the tendency to form or to easily form cavities or so we look for the certain factor that causes this one so we'll check first is the saliva more ropey compared to if if you have a more um, thin consistency of the saliva then it has this um washing effect or it has this cleansing effect more compared to the ones with ropey saliva so it would also depend on the um, oral hygiene regimen that they do. So proper toothbrushing and flossing. The, the term proper before the technique is uh, is quite good. So when you say proper toothbrushing, it's not just passing the brush <laughs> alo- uh, yeah. on, on all of the teeth. So you have to do it in a certain mm-hmm. direction. So you do it, for example, for the upper teeth, you do it from the gums downward towards the biting area and then for the lower teeth you do it from the gum area upward mm. so you do it around so you have to make sure to uh that you brush your teeth in front of the mirror to, just to check if you have passed through all of the all of the surfaces so there are different surfaces the outer surface the one near the cheek and also the inner surface the one near the tongue or near the palate and also the biting surfaces it has to pass through all of those areas that is very informative <laughs> <laughs> thank you yes uh and now with the flossing also when you floss when you use your floss you have to make sure that as it passes through the in between you have to do it carefully not too forceful because it might damage the gums. So if you forcefully place it in between. So it might traumatize the soft tissue in between. So when you insert the floss, you have to make sure that it passes through both sides. So both teeth, both surfaces. So on the left and on the right side. 
I would emphasize when I give instructions is that you have to do it in front of the mirror so you can see if you were able to clean those surfaces because that's the crucial part in flossing. You do not just pass it through yes. the in-betweens. Yeah, but then you have to make sure that you mechanically clean the two sides, two surfaces of both. And that's where most cavities are found, right? That's true. Those locations Mm -hmm. are quite difficult to detect. So when it forms a cavity, or if it's incipient, if it's a starting cavity, you won't be able to see it immediately. So most of the time, the patient goes back to the clinic, and then he or she complains of sensitivity. And that's when we'll notice, oh, okay, there was a starting cavity here. One technique I can share is that when you use the floss, mm-hmm. if the bristles or if the strands separate as you pull it out, if you're using a waxed floss. Mm, is that a standard one? Yeah, the standard one. So if you remove it and then you had the hard time, if you notice there's roughness mm-hmm. in the in-between, then um, you can ask your dentist. If something's going on. <laughs> yes, maybe something's going on. So mm-hmm. at, at least have it checked. I think um, I had difficulty flossing this area. There might be several reasons for that. Could be tight contact. But one way to diagnose it is that when we floss, the bristles or the strands somewhat separate. So, or we try to feel it. Is it rougher than normal? So, then we check. Uh, we try to look into it a little more. Uh, okay, there could be a cavity in between. So we dry the area. That's a really good uh, technique and advice because. You know, sometimes that happens to me too. I just pull out the floss and it breaks and I'm not even sure what's going on in there. So I'm glad that you told me that. (laughs) But you have to ask your dentist first just to double check. Yes. If something's going on, well, there's nothing wrong with asking, right? So they they can see it clearer compared to you. Don't panic right away. <laughs> yes, yes. Speaking of toothbrushing technique, what dental tools are the best choice for teeth? Is it better to have an electric toothbrush? Is it better to use a hard bristled one or a soft bristled one? Mm. For the dental tools, well, you can have the basic ones as long as you use it properly. So, when I say basic ones, you have to have your toothbrush. The na- the narrow-headed ones are okay. The round ones are okay. As long as you do the... As long as you brush properly. So, you do the technique properly. So, you have to brush all of the surfaces. The tendency with the electric toothbrush. When you have the electric one, you think it does the work on its own? Yeah. So, one habit is that I think I saw someone using the electric toothbrush mm-hmm. and then he was brushing in front in front of the television so oh. i was i was observing him and i noticed he just passed through the brush <laughs> around the world so i was like ah maybe that's the reason why other toothbrushes are not recommended by other dentists but then for me uh, as long as you use it properly then that that's good. You're all good. If you use the hard bristled brush, if you use the soft bristled brush, the medium bristled brush, as long as you apply the right amount of force mm-hmm. when you clean it, uh, it goes towards the correct direction. It cleans almost all of the surfaces of the teeth, then that's good. You're good. Um, when you use the soft bristled brush or also the hard bristled brush, you have to make sure that you do not use it too forcefully because the tendency is that you're going to abrade the surfaces of the teeth so mm-hmm. it may cause sensitivity it may reduce some of the some of the tooth surface so you have to do it carefully with the right amount of force so with 
toothbrush, toothpaste, flossing. So you're going to need your floss. You can also have your uh, tongue cleaner. But a lot of people don't have a tongue cleaner, right? <laughs> yeah, not everyone has that. The tongue is quite rough, if you know this. Mm. So the tongue cleaner helps. It, uh, for me, it's like the finishing touch to my oral hygiene <laughs> regimen. It's like a makeup spray, makeup finishing spray. <laughs> yes, that's it. Yeah, the setting spray. Yeah. The last one. <laughs> so I just use the tongue cleaner after. Because I feel more fresh when I use mm-hmm. it. Because when I use the brush, that this is for me. Up, um, when I use the brush, when I brush the tongue, so the tendency is, I I feel like I do not clean it thoroughly, mm-hmm. or it's not thoroughly clean. But you can use the back of the brush. I think some toothbrushes are designed that it's more rough. So the back of the brush is designed uh, to be more rough compared to other surfaces of other toothbrushes. So you can um, scrape out just gently the particles that are set in the tongue area. So just just for you to feel more clean or more fresh. Yes, and I think it's better to just be extra clean than not clean at all. (laughs) Yes, especially before you sleep because you don't know what's going on inside the oral cavity. For sure. Uh, And my last question uh, regarding dental tool is, how often should you change your toothbrush? You should change your brush after around one one to three months. It depends on how hard you brush your teeth. So some toothbrushes, they have indicators for you to be reminded that you have to change your toothbrush. So I think some indicators tell you after a month you have to change it. But then some up to three months. When you go back to your dentist, so you have to visit your dentist at least twice a year, every six months. At least you've changed your brush mm-hmm. twice. So that's what that's one of the things that we check. Because not many people are aware of that. They use their toothbrushes for a long period of time and bacteria accumulate in it. Yes, that's true. So also the placement of your brush. So at least place your brush maybe two meters. It's like social distancing. Two meters away <laughs> from the toilet seat or so so you have to place it with a certain distance from the toilet not just to prevent your brush from accidentally falling to the toilet but then Mm -hmm. uh, i think there's a scientific study about it oh really oh yeah why it should be this far from your from the other parts of your of the restroom that's very interesting Uh, it has to be covered also so just to be sure Oh, wow. I need to start doing that because I think I placed my toothbrush <laughs> close to it. <laughs> yeah. So additional information, just trivia. So place it far away from the toilet and also at least covered. They have some in the grocery stores or supermarkets. With a cover. Toothbrush. Yes. Or toothbrush covers. Just universal cover for any type of toothbrush. Mm, that's so interesting now i'm intrigued i just want to look up that article (laughs) yeah i'll try to look for it then i'll send it to you also once i find it we'll wait for it thank you another question how can diet affect oral health with your diet with a certain type of diet so from books articles they'd say that when you have a more sugary diet or if you really like sweets and so there is a tendency that you form cavity easily if you also try to eat acidic food or if you like drinking sodas what's going to happen is that the liquid 
or the acid in that food can erode the surfaces of the teeth. So it somewhat roughens the teeth, making it more prone to plaque formation. So plaque formation can lead to cavity formation or can also lead to um, to the teeth forming calcular deposits. So what you can do is maybe just be aware of your diet and then proper mm-hmm. toothbrushing afterwards, healthcare. If you're aware or if you're conscious or if you, you know that you like sweets or so, um, just brush your teeth after eating. You have to make sure that you brush your teeth after each meal, especially before you go to sleep. So brush your teeth and proper oral hygiene. I cannot reiterate it enough. You can eat whatever you want. <laughs> That's the simplest way to say it. Yeah, you can eat whatever you want that you brush your teeth after. You have to be conscious also. With colored food, coffee, tea. Yes, coffee, tea. Um, I, I go back to article saying that tea somewhat helps lessen cavity formation. But maybe the disadvantage of drinking too much colored food or your, your coffee and your tea is that it may discolor the tea. We can use a straw. To bypass. Yes, to bypass the surface, other surfaces, especially the surfaces that are easily seen by others. So you can use a straw. I think there are straws made for hot drinks even for cold drink and also maybe avoid if you're really that conscious avoid eating colored food if you're conscious about discoloration but with cavity the basic ones that you have to be uh you have to be thinking about when it concerns your diet is that you can eat whatever you want as long as you brush your teeth Mm -hmm. afterwards make sure that you use your tools properly and have your dental checkup every few months how often should people have a dental exam and cleaning? Depends per patient. So if you're a cavity former or if you easily form calcular deposits, the ones that we have to remove during cleaning. So or if you're prone to gingivitis or periodontitis or other conditions like that, then you have to visit your dentist more often, around three months like this. But if you're uh, if you're lucky, then you don't form cavity that easily. So you can visit the dentist every six months at least at least to prevent problems from forming definitely even before that cavity gets big then at least the dentist gets to check it and then place can place something to prevent that from getting any bigger or can restore it yeah so it's patient specific and i bet those with braces go to the dentist more often (laughs) (laughs) yes yes i think they have to go every three weeks or at least once a month for their for the braces to be adjusted for that appliance to be adjusted and also since they have a foreign body or since they have another material in their oral cavity they need cleaning more often yeah because some food might get stuck in between <laughs> yes and it's difficult to remove if you do it yes. yourself yes yes and that's probably why Invisalign is becoming more common now <laughs> yes and it because it's removable it's easier mm-hmm. I think it's easier to maintain the only problem with Invisalign is that you may lose it. So it's quite expensive. So and they're pretty easy to misplace too. That's true. You might misplace it. And um, you have to use it religiously if the dentist instructs you to use it. 
um, every night or for at least eight hours a day, you have to do it. They won't be able to give you the next um, Invisalign or the, you won't be able to proceed to the next step if you don't follow the procedures that they gave or the instructions they gave you previously. So it's best for those who are disciplined. <laughs> yes. So not to lose it, but not to misplace it. And then the other is to use it really as as per instructed. To get that optimal result as well. Yes, yes. To get what you paid for. Mm, Which is a lot of money. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Let's talk about more aggressive treatments like root canal. There are different myths about it. Some even say it can cause cancer, heart attacks, and it leaves areas of necrotic bone in your jaw that are filled with bacteria. And then it leads to chronic inflammation and other illnesses. What can you say about that? Root canal treatments, I think this issue stemmed out because of the documentary that uh, in Netflix, The Root mm-hmm. Cause. I think the title is The Root Cause. Well, for root canal treatments, as of the present, there is still no evidence or no articles that are published that or that's that has been published about uh, the connection of root canal treatment and um, cancer or any forming cancer. Actually, there was this study in 2013 opposing what they were saying in the documentary that root canal treatment is somewhat related to the prevention of some forms of cancer. But then, since we're more into evidence-based, for me, yeah, evidence-based studies, for me, I think we need more long-term studies to prove or disprove this theory. So we have to check first, double-check, and to see if and the connection between root canal. So up to now, since there are still no proven uh, studies, no long-term studies about it, I think uh, it's safe to still have your root canal treatment. It's still better because when you say root canal treatment, it's one treatment which tries to preserve the original tooth it's a procedure um, that you have to do to save the tooth so it can remain inside the oral cavity if it's savable. Mm-hmm. If it's still restorable and it's just the uh, inner portion or the pulp area that is affected, then I think you can still save the casing or the house of that, the nerves and the blood vessels. So what root canal does is that it removes the blood vessels, the nerves. It cleans out the inner portion of the tooth. So I am quite sure and the materials that they place inside the canal or in the canal or that replace the nerves and the blood vessels. These materials are biocompatible. So this means that it's safe to use inside the oral cavity. It's safe to leave inside the oral cavity. Now these materials have long-term studies. Yes saying that it's safe to be placed inside the oral cavity. I love how you keep mentioning evidence-based studies because there's so many wrong information on the internet, so we really have to be careful. Now, we have to really base everything on evidence. Now, even with the situation mm-hmm. we have now, we have to base it on studies more on or uh, on more tangible results. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, even the drugs that we take, you have to make sure that it's FDA approved and so. And I'm uh, and I rely more on drugs or medications that have completed their study or ha- that that is backed up by a long-term study. Absolutely. And even if it's a study, you have to make sure that the source is reliable. So anyway, um Going back to oral health, (laughs) 
Some people suffer from bruxism or involuntary teeth grinding and may not even know it. What are the signs and how is it treated? So another term for bruxism is night grinding. Well, it's quite difficult to diagnose. Well, first thing that we ask the patient when they suspect that they're doing night grinding or if they're present with bruxism is that ask the person you sleep with for example the person is married or so or if you sleep the same room with your mom you'd hear the friction or when the tooth comes in contact with the opposing tooth it's quite Mm -hmm. audible or if they notice that okay i can hear something where is it coming from so they can check or if the patient sleeps alone in his or her room, um, they'd notice that their their jaws or the muscles just a little in front of the ear is quite sore or they, they'd feel something when they wake up in the morning, especially if the, if the patient is a chronic bruxer. So that's one thing. But if the bruxism or night grinding is quite severe, when you do it chronically, when you do it um, every night, the result of this one is that the teeth reduces in height. So the teeth okay. shorten, especially the front ones. Uh, the reduction is not immediate. The tooth reduces slowly. So they notice that sensitivity after a while, after maybe a few months or years of bruxism. It depends on how hard they grind it. So that's another mm-hmm. thing. They, uh, the shortening of the height of the incisal part, the front part of the teeth. Now, you mentioned about prevention, right? I did, yes. The treatment too. Or our treatment, how to manage it. One thing is, well, as of all of the treatments, you have to look for the cause. Now, the increasing cause, I I noticed uh, there is an increasing number of um, cases for bruxism. And one cause that I've read about is could be due to stress. They say that stress can cause bruxism or so. So you have to look for the cause. Ask them first, are you stressed? What's happening in your work? What are the changes in your, uh, maybe in your occupation? What happened lately that caused this type mm-hmm. of stress? So one is about stress. So do you think it's like a stress reliever for some? For some, I think that's how they release their stress. But uh, they do it unconsciously. So maybe some they're not that aware that they're st- that stressed. Well, sometimes it's it's a habit that you grind your teeth when you're thinking. You even do it subconsciously, not during the nighttime only. So you can also do it while, for example, just staring in front of the computer, reading their very difficult yeah. article or something that's quite difficult to understand. So you can do clenching or, or grinding. Mm. So you do it subconsciously or involuntarily. You just have to be conscious. Now, if it's quite severe, then if you can still restore the teeth, since it has already shortened or the the numbers either the height has been reduced so you can if you still can restore the tooth but after the restoration you have to um, advise the patient to wear a mm-hmm. night guard just to prevent the teeth from grinding especially now that you have restored it you have to right. preserve that one the restoration but the best way is still to know the cause and then try to make the patient conscious about the mm-hmm. condition. Try to look for the cause and then address the cause first. Correct the habit. 
So it's really the habit that needs to be corrected. Yes, yes, yes. So if if it's already if the condition is already severe, that's where we enter. That's when we tell them, okay, we have to restore this one. We have to replace the the tooth loss or the tooth structure. Mm-hmm. So then afterwards, just um prevent it from happening again by using that night guard also res- after restoration of the tooth. That's nice because you don't want a band-aid fix, right? You want to target the root cause. Yes, yes. The cause first. The cause itself. So actually, I think that's where we based, base all of our treatments. So we have to treat the cause. What is causing this pain? What is the main source of the pain? Mm-hmm. So that's what we have to treat immediately. Instead of just um, placing quick fixes there. Yes. So, still best to treat what is causing the discomfort for the patient. I love that approach because you don't want to treat your patient as just service for you to earn more because you're doing so many treatments. <laughs> I, I like the term service. I forgot. Yeah, the term service. You have to provide the optimal treatment plan as much as possible. The one that would benefit them more. And they will trust you more because uh, they know that you want the best for them. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. The best way is to earn their trust also by giving them the best treatment you could give. Yes, that's like the perfect combination. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now that we've gone from the tooth to the root, let's go to the gums. What do healthy gums look like? For each patient, each individual, it's quite different. If I refer to my um, period textbook, it would say that the a healthier Gums would look healthy if it's coral pink, if it's quite mm. pink. But then, if you have a darker complexion, it would vary in the shade. So you can have um, you can have a darker shade of gums, but then it would it would still be considered as healthy. So as long as you maintain good oral hygiene. Now, if it's quite red in some areas and your gums bleed spontaneously, then uh, you have to have your gums checked, not just the teeth cleaned. You, you'd feel it also if it's inflamed. You'd, you'd also taste something different. Sometimes the gums are inflamed in several areas, but then some. sometimes it's also generalized. So when you brush upon gentle manipulation, there's no bleeding, no discomfort in any areas, then you could consider your uh, gums as healthy but then it's best to have it checked also there could be some areas that could be problematic that you cannot mm-hmm. see that that's difficult to see yes especially the ones at the back where you really yes. have no access to it <laughs> yes that's quite difficult to clean so you can ask your dentist how do i clean this part this is yeah. quite <laughs> difficult to reach with with my toothbrush this is, that's flat and so so ask your dentist how do i clean this can you clean this for me like this <laughs> during your dental cleaning <laughs> yeah can clean this part especially this part and then they tell you what the problem is yes it's different for everyone because we all have different gums <laughs> yes and different anatomical makings yes anatomy, yeah. <laughs> okay well um how are diseases such as diabetes and autoimmune ones related to gum health there are articles that say that diabetes is quite related to gum hyperplasia or, or um, gum inflammation, gum diseases. Now, mm. for other dental treatments for patients who are diagnosed with diabetes, what 
we normally ask first is that if the diabetes is controlled. Now, when you say the gums, it, it's quite pink because it has a lot of blood vessels. So it's soft tissue. It's made up of soft tissue. Right. So it's made up of blood vessels. And when we do treatments on patients with diabetes, we have to make sure first if um, their condition is stable. Do they mm-hmm. need insulin for it? Do they need um, injections? If the condition is quite severe, then we'd ask them to um, obtain clearance first from their endocrinologists or their main doctors, their primary physicians. For other patients, especially the ones who have controlled diabetes, there are times when we can immediately proceed, if, especially if we just do conservative procedures such as cleaning, restorations like this, if it doesn't concern the gums too much. But if con- it concerns the gums and there is possible bleeding for that procedure and the condition is not that controlled, then we ask the patient for clearance. So I think the possible problem that he could face in a diabetic patient is bleeding. Oh, yes, so yes. Bleeding and wound healing. So we have to get that clearance first from the primary physician before we even do any procedure. Because if we, if we immediately do the procedure without obtaining that clearance, it could cause complications, especially to other medically compromised patients, not just diabetic patients. So it's their medication. For diabetic patients, we'd ask them to have a morning appointment. Um, we'd ask them when do they take their insulin injection or when, when are they given their insulin injection. So we have to make sure that we're prepared also for the possible complication. There's a very good practice that all of those factors are being considered before performing a procedure. I, I love that. Yes, because it's quite difficult when you say the oral health, the oral cavity. Uh, it's the entry point, right? Mm-hmm. So it's also connected to the other parts of the body, other bodily systems. Especially for me, when I do surgical procedures, I know that whatever procedure I do is irreversible. Right. So for example, I have to do extraction or removal of the tooth, removal of a part of the gums or so. I have to consider also the medications that they're taking, also the condition they're in at present, what are the procedures that they have to undergo after the dental procedure that I'm about to do, what are the components of the anesthetic agents that I'm going to give. So we have to consider all of those because they might have an adverse effect to the medications that they're already taking. I'm talking about um, medically compromised patient. So yeah, like what you've mentioned, the overall health of the patient, it has to be taken into consideration. That's interdisciplinary. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Some patients have multiple medications, so it's really important to take note of that, like adverse drug reactions as well. Yes, that's very important also. Yes, we don't want to be the cause of something else and of another condition to the patient. So Try to prevent as much as possible medical emergencies from happening inside the dental office. (laughs) No more dental anxiety. (laughs) Yes, that's one thing also. Yeah, we also have uh, non-pharmacological management for patients who are anxious. So you're also taught uh, in school how to do that. One. Talk to your patient. Uh, do not show the instruments first. Like this, yes. like that. <laughs> Hide it first and then like just yeah. a date. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> or, or play 
always sit at the back of their head so they won't notice that you're already placing the an- anesthesia like this. So, And some, they even make you wear like glasses and then there's a TV so you can watch. Yes, yes, yes. So for kids, there is a different management also. They ask them to wear glasses. They ask them to wear... Oh yeah, the television distracts the patient more. Mm-hmm. But we still have to inform the patient on what we're about to do. So I ha- I'm going to place this one. Don't be surprised. Just raise your hand. Tell me. So we give instructions. <laughs> so they won't be like, oh my goodness, what just happened? <laughs> yes, yes. What did you do? Yes. So when I was training in uh, in a hospital in Minnesota, I, I was mm-hmm. surprised with one patient because... I was used to the practice in Korea where they they just say yes to the professor. So they'd say, mm-hmm. okay, yes, 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 yes. So I have to do this. Okay, okay. So they'd be very cooperative. But then when I trained there, when I think I was there for a month just to, to observe assist training. And so I noticed the difference with the patients or the patient base. So the patients there are more maybe proactive or more reactive to the treatment. They'd ask, what's that? What what are you placing? Yeah, they are very frank here. <laughs> yes, they'd ask, what, what's that? What are you placing? Why do you have to put that? But I think that's good, right? At least you know what's going on. Yes, that's true. That's why even before they ask, you tell them, I'm going to place this one, yeah, like uh... this. <laughs> So they don't have to ask. <laughs> yes, they wouldn't have to ask. <laughs> yeah, that's a good strategy. It saves you time. Let's talk about aesthetic now. When should veneers and dental implants be considered? Veneers and dental implants are two well different procedures. For veneers, they have different indications. So for veneers, they are also called laminates. This is indicated for patients first if they have um, a carious lesion. If the if the tooth has multiple cavities on different surfaces, that procedure place it with restorations on all of that surfaces. It would um, somewhat weaken the tooth, so it's better to place that veneer one one whole material on the surface of the tooth. So oh okay, that's one indication for your veneers. Another one is is for aesthetics. So if you want to fix crowding. If you want the tooth or several teeth to look whiter, or of uh, to change the shape of each uh, of or of your teeth, especially the front ones, then you can opt for veneers. So with veneers, you just reduce a portion of the tooth. Veneers is indicated when the tooth is still present. Okay. The tooth is still vital, but then there are just multiple cavity formation or caries formation on different surfaces. So you prepare the tooth, you just reduce a portion of the surface, and then you place a material that would mask, somewhat mask that um, surface. It can look whiter compared to the other teeth, but it's a, a mask on the on that entire surface. But still, you have to have the tooth present there. Mm, it's kind of like a gift wrapper. <laughs> yes, it's like a gift wrapper, but only on one surface. It's like placing a mask on the tooth. Yeah, exactly. For implants, these are indicated when you have a missing tooth. So when mm-hmm. a tooth is already extracted, now... What our professors would say before was, implants are the gold standards 
for prosthesis or to replace a missing tooth or missing teeth. You can also use implants to replace um, dentures, even full dentures. When you place an implant, you place the screw and it's going to try to mimic the root of the extracted tooth and then you place a crown afterwards. So it's going to look as natural as possible well, with a li- little difference, of course. Yeah. Since... It's probably not noticeable at all. It's not as noticeable as other restoration, mm-hmm. probably. But it depends. It, it would still depend on the patient, on the indications also per patient. So if the patient is medically compromised, if the patient is a chronic smoker, if the pre- patient has certain um, yeah medical conditions, then we, these have to be taken into consideration before considering implants. So we still promote other prostheses such as your dentures, the bridge, the crowns or so. So we still recommend them if the implants are contraindicated to them. But implants are basically to replace extracted teeth. So... Mm-hmm. That's nice. And these implants are also biocompatible, right? Implants are biocompatible. Now, studies of their success rates now are quite high. The, the, the studies now are good. Long-term studies now, I think they've been doing it for years already. The success rate is up to 90% and above for all of these implants. So... Whatever system you use, I think implants can be advisable for patients who are who are good candidates for this type of replacement. So for missing teeth, also for dentures, for patients with uh, the with dentures who are um, whose dentures have to be adjusted from time to time. So this right. means that their bones have already resorbed. So it needs something, an extra thing to hold. I, to hold the dentures in, play, in place. So these are your implants. Mm, okay, that's an extra information that I've learned today. <laughs> um, being in practice now, is it what you expected? <laughs> right now, <laughs> it's not as I have expected. What I observed when I was in college or when, when whenever I'd assist my aunt in mm. her clinic, I get to control my schedule. So patients would come in like this, like that. But then since the pandemic happened, the situation is very, it's quite different. Right. Since it's very different, there are a lot of changes. Infection control is still there. It's implemented, but now it's more enhanced. So, but still strictly implemented. Since we deal with the oral cavity, there are extra precautions that we have to take note of. Um, we do not want to cause infection. We want to properly examine the patients first prior to them entering our facility. So we're dealing with the saliva and uh, yes, with COVID-19 and the spread or transmission of the virus or the infection. Through droplets. <laughs> yes, through droplets. And maybe I can say it's safe to say that the uh, most uh, the profession most at risk are dentists also and other dental professionals or other um, healthcare providers that deal with droplets, oral cavities, uh, or saliva. It's different, but if we get used to it, I think it's a good practice because we get to prevent other infections from getting worse, from happening, while still being able to alleviate pain. For our patients who have dental problems, who have discomfort concerning the teeth like this. Surprising, but 
yeah, very different from what I expected. <laughs> 2020 has been full of surprises. <laughs> That's true. I thought this was a lucky year because it's 2020. So. I know. I was so excited at the beginning of the year. And That's then true. everything was just like, oh. <laughs> it went downhill from here. Well, one thing I learned, if I may add, one thing I learned about uh, during the quarantine or during the pandemic was the importance of oral health also. So during the quarantine, we were limited. Since we are not yet that informed, about um the since this is a novel virus we don't know mm-hmm. how it how, so we're still getting to know how it transmits how it gets worse how do how do we prevent the transmission of this one like this so for a time we had to close down our dental clinics so oh yes yeah we have to close it down only treat emergency cases make sure that they have to address first if the patient is positive with this COVID-19 or so. But um, there were a lot of patients who were contacting the dental clinic complaining of pain. I'm having pain on this area. So it somewhat um, it somewhat reminded me of the importance of oral hygiene, giving oral hygiene instructions, of um, telling them how important it is to prevent these things from happening before it even happens. Because what if you can't go to the dentist for a couple of months, which is what happened, right? Because yes. <laughs> you're in quarantine. <laughs> so it's all, it was also difficult for us to give instructions. Maybe you can just take medications first like this. As much as we want mm-hmm. to treat them right away. It was difficult for us. So we, we had a lot of limitations during that time. That's why there was a surge of patients when the quarantine was east out so there were a lot of patients that we had to treat most of them were emergency cases so that was one lesson we learned also during that quarantine i think it really just helped us understand what matters <laughs> yes that's true in like in general also in general in, gen- yes, in general also not in just life. oral health <laughs> that's true in life too <laughs> So COVID-19 has posed significant challenges among all of us, specifically the people who are in the medical field. How do you think this will affect the future of dentistry? Well, the virus, I think, is not going away anytime soon. So we have to get used to all of the things that we, all of the changes that transpired during this occurrence. So the strict infection control protocols you have to bear with us if we ask for pre-screening forms questionnaires it's for us to be able to make sure that our patients are safe also our the dental practitioners are safe everyone in the facility is safe we also do not want to risk you from acquiring that virus so or that infection so we if you're at risk then sometimes we suggest other treatments first. If we tell you that you need a clearance from the certain doctor first, then we give extra instructions. Now, with the infection control inside the clinic, you'd notice different. Uh, um, maybe it was leveled up, so different equipments are added, and also even the practice of well, the sterilization has been there. Infection control has been there. Disinfection has been there. I think it's just doubled or tripled because of this condition. So uh, it was, for now, it's quite difficult to adapt to 
but if mm-hmm. we get once you get used to it i think it's for the good also so it i think it's going to be get better it's going to get better once you get used to it and once everyone gets used to it so and it'll also prepare them for a future pandemic which i which, hope won't happen which i hope won't happen anytime soon yes, so yes no more <laughs> so this is not this is not the only infection that we're preparing for so at least mm-hmm. we're more prepared we're used to it we prevent um yeah transmission so we do not want that clinic to be the source of that infection so i think the best way is to equip all of the dental clinics, all of uh, even other healthcare facilities for that. Absolutely, since it's very contagious. And lastly, what about your practice are you most proud of? I'm a professor and a practicing dentist. So um, I men- I've mentioned this to my students and also to you. <laughs> Maybe you know this yes. one. Yeah, that I-, I tell my students that they are my keys to heaven. So... Of them graduating, them practicing, them being able to practice with confidence makes me mm. really proud. Now, what I've told them is that maybe it defines me at the, as a professor also. That once I see them, once I see them there practicing, and if ever, it's, it's quite proud to say, but once they have surpassed maybe the degrees I have, the achievements I have, I think it's going to make me feel more proud than having Aww. those degrees myself. Because in a way, um, I was a part of their learning. So I hope they also learn from me. So with the practice, with the practice, since I'm a surgeon, uh, to alleviate pain, just to make them feel comfortable during the procedure, re- maybe reduce their anxiety during the procedure, to be able to address the prob- the dental problems that they have. It makes me also proud and also happy to be in this profession, to provide that comfort. So my hands are somewhat... When, when, when I do major procedures, I pray first. Honestly, I, I pray first and then ask him to guide me and use my hands as instruments. For healing, so that's one thing that uh yeah use your use your talents for the better for the good. So just to use my hands for healing for his greater glory. Yes, for his glo- all for his glory. So for my profession, just to be an instrument for healing to to relieve the pain that they are feeling at the moment. So that's one thing I'm proud of. I think that's a very humble answer. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Dr. Jacqueline, for being here today and for sharing with us the importance of oral health and for explaining its relation to our overall health. Thank you also for having me. Like what I've said, I um, please continue this advocacy. Please. Uh, one thing that convinced me is that uh, you're using this platform to increase awareness, especially in oral health. So the importance of oral health, not just during the pandemic, but in general so the importance also of awareness well thank you so much i i definitely learned a lot and i'm sure that everyone who listened to this episode also picked a couple of tips and techniques on how to properly brush and floss their teeth i hope they do i hope i hope so (laughs) thank you thank you very much also for having me thank you so much doc jacqueline tatad for being here today and that's it for today's episode stay tuned for the next one bye